Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Ten oh six. Good morning, investors. It is time for Money and Me, and we are checking in with Arun Pai, Chief Crystals Officer at Crystal AI. Wow, what news this week, right? Stocks falling so sharply as the number of coronavirus cases in outside China surged. That stoked fears of prolonged and global economic slowdown. Talk about contagion as well when it came to the markets. The Dow Jones Industrial Average sank eight hundred seventy nine points on Tuesday as the the COVID-19 virus spread more broadly outside of China than thought. Is it renewing recession anxiety? Tuesday brought the Dow's two-day swoon to more than 1,900 points. That was the worst two-day percentage loss in two years. The spreading virus has infected more than 80,000, killed more than 2,700 and sent shockwaves through the markets. Companies like Apple, Nike, United Airlines and MasterCard have all raised flags about the coronavirus and its impact on earnings. We're checking in with Arun Pai. I was, che- you know, I understand the coronavirus has wiped out some $1.7 trillion in U.S. stock market in two days. Arun, help us figure out the depreciation from your point of view. Are markets adjusting to fundamentals or has sentiment and taken over? Are investors running scared? Definitely not such a great morning now, is it, Michelle? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely fear is set in. A couple of big uh, macro headlines that came out recently where the CDC in the U.S. said that there was the first of the coronavirus. Germany is coming out saying this is the beginning of an epidemic in the country because they have four to five cases uh, in which they have no idea where the origin of uh, that was from. Mm. And when you have extremely developed countries like South Korea saying that, you know, the count of uh, the coronavirus is increasing, like I think, I think it was like 234 yesterday or today, you, you know, obviously reading all these macro headline news, investors get scared. As you were highlighting about companies, Microsoft uh, came out with uh, an earnings warning uh, overnight saying that it's manufacturing has been extremely slow uh, in terms of ramping back up to what they would have hoped by now would be a business as usual. Mm. So you have a lot of companies that are now coming out with more and more pre-earnings announcements, preparing investors, look, this virus was not a one-week or two-week thing. Their supply chains have been massively hit. And more importantly, these exact same supply chains for them to come back online is being a lot more slower than what they initially thought. Line is definitely going to be affected. Well, you know, unfortunately, it, this is not the best line for us, Arun. We're, we're missing out a couple of, of, of your words every couple of seconds. But So I'll ask you to back up a little bit here and there, okay? But for now, we're going to move forward. You know, Trump said the virus is very much under control in the U.S. He sort of downplayed the spread of the virus, despite health officials in the U.S. issuing severe warnings about it. What do you foresee as the impact of COVID-19 for the U.S. Trump came out, you know, try to calm the markets down a little bit. Obviously, he thinks the barometer of a stock market index is directly related to his credibility as a president, which is quite scary. Mm. But, you know, he is a businessman first and a politician second, I guess. He came out trying to 
tell people to stay calm. He and sh- he got his uh, right hand man, the vice president, Mike Pence, to be responsible for trying to control uh, this outbreak in the U.S. But it was right after that when the CDC came out saying that the first community spread case has now been identified in the U.S. So you're having a little bit uh, like obviously you know a politician should come out and try and allay the fears of his people, but at the same time uh, you know numbers don't lie. And if the U.S. starts going down the path of Germany or, heaven forbid, South Korea, mm. then you have the two biggest economies in the world now massively affected. And that can really, really spell. It's a recipe for disaster for stocks, which were trading at pretty much all time highs up till like last week. All right. Do you expect the Federal Reserve to cut rates and how effective will that be in terms of juicing the economy? Right. So they did come out saying that, you know, we're not going to be doing anything pretty much the whole of this year, or at least wait till closer to the end of the year. If you look at the bond market, U.S. Treasuries, for that matter, like the 10 years has now gone down to 1.3%. So the, the price of a bond is obviously inversely correlated to the yield as more and more people, because they're getting a lot more fearful, start buying U.S. Treasuries, well, U.S. dollar as well as U.S. Treasuries, then the yields keep dropping. Everyone is afraid. Everyone is, uh, you know, stocks have dropped, as you mentioned, like over $1.7 trillion of wealth was lost in the past couple of days. Nobody wants to see that mark-to-market pain in their investment books. They're ditching stocks, going into bonds. But just taking a step back, and if you look at, say, the 30-year treasuries, right, they're yielding something like, you know, just a, a, quite a, a shade under, say, 2%. 2% returns for 30 years. Mm. From the perspective of an investor who's thinking slightly more long-term, mm-hmm. my personal opinion is that bonds or fixed income in general is extremely expensive right now. It's extremely mm-hmm. overvalued. If, you, if I give you an option where you can buy a stock for 50 price-to-earnings ratio, which is basically what a 2% 30-year bond is, with the caveat that your earnings will never be compounding. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the only return you'll get from the stock. You know, no one in their right mind would ever think of buying that stock. Yeah, but I yet, would run but, screaming. <laughs> exactly. But yet, when it comes to bonds, it's that notion that, okay, you know what, I, my investment is secure. Yes. And that is what happens when fear sets into the market, which it clearly has in the past couple of days. So, as you say, you know, the, the 10-year Treasury falling as low as 1.31% in intraday trade. I think it was yesterday. That was a record, according to TradeWeb. So, what should retail investors do? Wait out the fall or shift money into safer assets? Well, you know, the, the, the typical, the average investor should really take think of purchasing stocks as an option to buy businesses, right? And you start always relying on day-to-day headlines. Mm -hmm. That's just a recipe for disaster because you end up paying a lot more in transaction costs and going in and out of the market. You tend to always buy when the markets are like rallying a lot and then you tend to sell when there's actually desperation in the market and stock prices have collapsed. So taking a step back and thinking of investing in stocks is actually investing in businesses for the long term is the best way to compound your wealth over the long term. That being said, you know, when you're buying a stock, you also need to ensure that you're getting the required value for what you're paying. And as we were highlighting like last week and the week before, sadly, you know, while I was saying that fixed income is in in an extremely frothy place, Sadly, stocks are also. And if you look at like any price to earnings, price to free cash flow ratios, they are trading at very elevated levels. But 
at the end of the day, as an investor, what can you do, right? So obviously short-term treasuries are an option. Identifying and picking and choosing select single stock names, which if you're willing to put in the required due diligence and effort and you have a long-term mentality to it, mm-hmm. then that could obviously be a good strategy for investing. Okay, let's talk about gold then. Because in times of uncertainty, people turn to gold. We've seen central banks continue to buy gold. However, gold prices fell more than 2% Tuesday here in Asia, set to record uh, the first decline in five days. What do you think about what's happening to gold? We've seen stocks fall. We would have expected gold prices to rise. That didn't happen. So what's happening? It was interesting where I think there was a little bit of profit-taking on the table, considering gold prices have rallied so much over about a year, year and a half, Mm. that investors were like, okay, you know what, I've made a decent amount of money in this. Again, let me take my money out. Let me just put it into bonds where I know the mark-to-market is not going to change by that much. Mm. In terms of a longer-term price point, to be honest, I don't have a very firm view on this. Mm. It's uh, funny where, you know, I'll go back to one of uh, Warren Buffett's shareholder letters where he said, you can take all the gold in the world that's ever been mined and you can literally fill it in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Now, the price of that gold, you know, when you think about that, that's actually not that much gold, right? But apparently, yeah. according according to his analysis, that's what the numbers are. So I'll, I'll trust him on saying that. <laughs> and the value of that entire swimming pool is whatever, $10, 15000000000000 trillion. Now, if you have a choice to either buy that swimming pool of gold and keep it for, say, 30 years, or you can basically buy the entire farmland of the U.S., seven Exxon Mobiles, a Microsoft, etc., which one would you rather prefer? A productive business or multiple businesses or Olympic-sized swimming pool that will just be sitting there in 30 years? Wow. So it kind of gives some perspective of, Gold as an investment, it it is questionable for the long term. I mean, obviously it has done well, but that's primarily because you have another investor who's willing to pay a higher price for that same instrument. In terms of productive uh, returns, I would rather prefer a U.S. business or farmland, that's for sure. All right. I'm going to ask you a general question now. If the virus is not contained, we're not at pandemic level, but some say that, you know, it is a hypothetical, but we could move in that direction. Is a severe global recession almost certain if the virus is not contained? I think the scary thing is, while there will obviously be a massive slowdown in the economy, and we are already seeing that play out over the past couple of weeks or a month, I think one of the scarier things is, Courtesy the trade wars and generally there being a lack of uh, true growth in the underlying economy, central banks across the globe have already dropped interest rates to basically all-time lows. Uh, They've already massively expanded uh, their balance sheet. What else can be done if there is a recession? And I think that is something that investors should be extremely careful about because If you turn back to, say, 2008 and the global financial crisis hit, central banks across the world, you know, had the luxury or at least had the option of cutting their uh, respective economies' interest rates dramatically. Anywhere from, like, say, 3 to 4%, the Fed basically brought it down to zero. ECB has already brought rates to negative. Where can this end? Like, currently, we're already sitting on close to, I think, $15 trillion 
of worth of bond providing negative interest rates. It's a very topsy-turvy world right now where you have so much capital sloshing around that people are literally, they're forced to buy, uh, you know, European government bonds that give you a negative return. In a world like that, when you have growth slowing down even further, lack of trade, lack of like movement of goods and people across uh, the world, what is going to be the backstop? What is going to be the savior? And if that is the case, then it might just be a massive correction in terms of multiples in valuation. And then you start bottom picking what are some good businesses that will be surviving for the next 30, 40 years and that they're not overly leveraged. Mm. And, you know, as an investor, you can earn a decent uh, return. Currently, with valuation still quite high and with so much, uh, not just like headline news, but it's actually percolating down to businesses stating that the high expectations growth that the market had initially priced in in the beginning of the year Mm -hmm. or Q4 of last year is not going to materialize. And I think that will lead to, you know, the valuation multiples coming under quite a bit of pressure this year and maybe even next year. You know, when I do this show, I try to put myself, you know, I try to ask questions that I think men on the street is going to want to hear. And from the perspective of the ordinary retail investor, when you walk around and you can't get a mask or you, you cannot get hand sanitizer, it brings home this idea that, so many of the world's supply chains start in China. They're concentrated in China. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal is asking, can supply chains survive the coronavirus? Is it any surprise that these hard-to-replace products, you know, that we're facing these shortages, so to speak, because all these supply chains are concentrated in China? Didn't we expect globalization to lead to more diversification? That's an interesting point. And I think, you know, it really, as you mentioned, it really brings the point home when essential items that you always trusted the manufacturing bowl of the world Mm -hmm. to come up with millions of them in an extremely cheap uh, cost would always be at your doorstep or in the pharmacy or in the supermarket uh, next to you. I think it's uh, interesting wherein, you know, too much of a good thing led to some issues. And when the U.S. realized that, especially when Trump uh, came into power and he saw that the local economy, especially in the manufacturing side, has taken such a massive hit by exporting, or not just the U.S. for that matter, pretty much every country in the world has been happy to tap on to China and export all of their jobs and the manufacturing side to them. Things had already started taking shape in terms of revamped uh, supply chains, right? Like you have Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, India to some extent also stepping up and trying to uh, avert those uh, big tariffs that Trump had placed and trying to ramp up production. But the thing is, these supply chains got created over the past 30, 40 years in a country that is ruthlessly efficient. It has a massive, or at least erstwhile, uh, say like 10 years back, had an extremely low-cost population or labor force, and they were able to churn out all of these goods. Will that change? I think there was already some signs of it changing. Uh, This is not going to be something that's going to happen overnight or even in the next three to five years. These things do take a lot of time, Mm. but I do feel that post uh, not just the trade wars, but this could be like the nail in the coffin to some extent where we will see a lot more uh, localized supply chains. Is India Uh, India going to be a... South America, you don't see India being a beneficiary of this or... India... Sadly, there is just still so much bureaucracy and no matter what Modi is trying to do in terms of trying to streamline regulation, 
at the end of the day, it's, you know, a 1.3 billion population where it's not one country, but it's like, you know, 20, 30 different states and uh, people who speak different languages. I mean, there's a reason why Lee Kuan Yew, the founding father of Singapore, back in the 70s decided, you know what, I'm going to stick to China. My money is on them because they will get things done. And India, sadly, as, you know, the wise man that he is, uh, it, it sadly lagged behind quite substantially from that front. Can they get their act together? You know, obviously, they have a lot of things going for it. A very young population, democracy potentially eventually works out a lot better in the long run. And I hope that India can be one of the big powers that comes out of this and helps the, the world come back onto its growth trajectory. But things are not shaping out that well, where India is dealing with massive other issues of non-performing loans and its uh, financial sector. Mm. And until the financial sector gets cleaned up, and by that what I mean is the balance sheets of the various banks and financial institutions there get cleaned up, it will be difficult for growth to truly materialize there. Okay, so deceased Bob Iger recently elaborated on his decision to step down and become executive chairman effectively. He cited 20 years and 81 earnings calls and said he wants to concentrate on the creative pipeline of the company. Wow, he said a lot. So what does this mean for Disney moving forward? I think the timing of the announcement in terms of it happening so suddenly was a little bit of a surprise. You know, obviously, as you highlighted, he's been mentioning that he's going to retire reasonably soon. And that date was put till 2021. The fact that he will remain as executive chairman, at least until that point of time, should hopefully give Disney shareholders a little bit of reprise to that. But it was a bit surprising considering I, I thought that he would want to see two big things that he's done just literally over the past year until the end. And that was a $71 billion acquisition of uh, the Fox Entertainment, you know, side of things of uh, the Fox Empire. Mm. And of course, Disney Plus, right? Like, there were so many headline news that Netflix has basically taken over the entire entertainment sector, at least of online viewing. And Disney came out with this massive marketing campaign where they came, where they basically said that, look, Disney Plus is going to be announced at like close to half the price of Netflix. We have so many locally created TV shows that we will definitely be able to capture a large segment of the audience. And that actually led to quite a substantial correction, be it in an overly inflated Netflix uh, share price. So uh, I'm quite surprised that right now is when he chose uh, to leave, uh, you know, being the CEO of uh, Disney. Mm. So let's see, you know, he's obviously left it in extremely good hands. Uh, anyone who's been a Disney shareholder over the past five to 10 years can uh, be ex- needs to be extremely grateful because he's done a fantastic job of truly building out the business. But, you know, just a bit surprising that he didn't wait until at least about a year or two uh, to see these two big things take place. I guess he couldn't wait to put his legs up on the couch after all those calls. <laughs> <laughs> Wish you were all in that position, huh, Michelle? <laughs> Absolutely. In the meantime, I put you to work for half an hour. Thank you so much for joining us, Arun. My pleasure as always. Thank you, Michelle. Arun Pai is Chief Crystals Officer at Crystals.ai. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.